to be on the blockchain. Today, um, we have a very dope guest. This one is going to be uh, on both sides, on music, on finances, on inspiration, on empowerment, on business, on real estate. So we are definitely going beyond the blockchain with this one. I would like to welcome our guest, uh, Terrence Harding Clark. Uh, Thanks for having me, my man. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, there's a, there are certain things that certain people know and certain people don't know about you. And I'm 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 an advocate of uh, always being informed. So I always like to start off with the five W's: who, what, when, where, and why. So let's just start off with who are you? Terrence Terrence Harden. Yeah, I'm a real estate agent in New York City, founder of Winning Hands NFT. I've been in real estate 18 years. Prior to that, I uh, was, I, I always I always get confused with saying was, because I, I say I was a member of Junior Mafia with Biggie, but I'm actually still a member because we still perform here and there at various shows. So, but as far as like the main focus, being, being a hip hop artist that I do real estate, real estate now and the Web3 space. Okay, so let, let's back this up. Um... When I say who are you, right? Um, coming, being born, raised, neighborhood, school, parents, background. That's what I mean. I want you to give me like, like right, the right, who right. you feel me? Like I know you. Like we kick it all the time, but right, you right, know. Right, right. <laughs> so so like, where did where did it come from? Clap to Terrence. Like where was your first? like uh journey that 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 as you look back at hindsight like what was the first start of your journey to develop who you are today from going into the to the the business of music music to right. inspiration because you're an inspirational teacher you got real estate agents under you like like let's like really like tap in so let's back this up like brooklyn bronx because you know i'm Harlemite, right, right, right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah so let's yeah let's go ahead t Born, born and raised in Brooklyn, I was born ironically in in Cumberland Hospital. So I, I kind of brag about being born in Cumberland Hospital in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, because that's the same hospital that that Michael Jordan was born in for, for history buffs and basketball. Being that my 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 Web three my Web three company is all NBA related, so yes, I was born in the same hospital. As, as Michael Jordan and I, I grew up I grew up in Clinton Hill born in that hospital but was actually raised in Clinton Hill in Fulton Fulton and Fulton and Clinton Avenue ironic another ironic instance about two blocks away from where Biggie lived but we didn't know each other as you oh okay so what was the what you started poetry which was a, 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 a class like what started the, the music journey because if it's is it is it good to say that if it wasn't for music you wouldn't be doing real estate is it good to say that um if it wasn't for yeah i, I could say that because the music departing or, or thinking i was departing from the music industry is what led me into real estate but as far as the backtrack to your question about music well i i'm old school and 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 but but modern modern thought process. But my older brothers 
they were into hip hop, my older, oldest brother. So I'm the last of six. So I have three older brothers, two older sisters. So a lot of people don't know that. Mm. So my family's from West Indian descent. Like I'm the only American in my family. Like if you <laughs> see the rest of my family, they're all West Indian. So it always blows, blows people's minds. So um, I'm the last of six. So my older brother, he was into hip hop. So he was DJing. I'm talking about when hip hop first hit Sugar Hill Gang. So he had the turntable. So we'd be listening to, to I'm taking it back to Super Rhymes days. So people who know, know hip hop, they know Super Rhymes. So so back in those days, we'd listen to things like that. So I, I always loved hip hop. So I grew up in a, in a hip hop oriented environment so so that was always great so i gravitated to it so the culture of hip-hop i'm glad you said that has is very diverse you could have been in the dancing part you could have been in the fashion you could have been in the art as far as graffiti you could have been the business part uh what made you decide even though you've seen your brothers going through um what made you decide to go the direction that you decided like yeah, I, I always loved it. It's funny you bring that up because I don't talk about this too. Like I, I used to draw a lot. Like like I, I was a real great, great artist. But of course, I, I stopped as I got older. But I, I was heavily, heavily into art a lot. I tried my stint at, at dancing hip hop, but not like as, as aggressively as as other hip hop dancers dance. Like, like there, there's probably a, a one or two videos where, where I, a quick cameo of me doing like like a quick dance move in a video, but we're not going to get too too deep into, into researching and finding that, but it's out there somewhere in cyberspace. But um, but I drew I drew a lot. Like I, I, I was an avid, avid artist. Like that was my thing. I'd go to the art supply stores and, and go in. And then I remember my mother, when I was young, she was a, a housekeeper and she worked for a gentleman John Gundelfinger. So I, I remember the name. I was so so young, but he was an artist, and she would show my my artwork, and and he would like get her supplies for me, and they'll send me supplies. And I, I was real young, and I was I got a, had to be like maybe six six years old, someone six seven eight. So my mother's friends used to come by the house, and I used to draw them, and they used to laugh because the the pictures that I would draw would look look pretty much like them for my for my age. <laughs> I was really, really into art, art a lot. Um, and fast forward a little bit, I tried to get into arts, art and design high school, but that didn't work because I because of my my high school history. So, so that's a whole nother, but that's what ended up going to graphic communications, <laughs> graphic arts. So um, which was a great school. I love I love that school. Met a lot of great people there. So that's my history. But the hip hop thing, I've always been in that environment. And then when I moved, I moved to Flatbush when I was in fourth grade. So I moved from Clinton Hill and moved to Flatbush when I was in fourth fourth grade and was actually in in fourth grade with special ed and Buster Rhymes. Mm, so that's we dope. Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in the same class, so so ironically, so that that was a good, a good thing. So, 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 so quick question, quick question, because the people don't really talk about this. So, Buster Rhymes and Special Ed was in your class. 
yeah. Right. Yeah. Even though his name is Special Ed, <laughs> was yeah. he, was he one of the slow dudes? Like how? No, how no, old? no, no. He was on point. Like, like that was like we was young. We were young. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like as as young kids, and you go back to school, and, and no disrespect, I, I was just making a, a joke no, to, no, no, no. to the to the reference of the Special Ed. No, um, I mean, or let me be clear day. because hold on, hold on, clap, 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 because I gotta be clear. I gotta be, you know, or the mentally, you know, yeah, I don't wanna, I don't wanna offend anybody. You know what I'm saying in that space that you know, nah, but, but no, was, no, hear me out, hear me out. Just, just one second. What I wanted to say is that <clears throat> going back to like elementary, you know, there are certain people that you became clits with, and even though y'all grew apart as growing older. Like you see how people were as kids and growing up. Now being in the in the group with these with these gentlemen that actually went into the same space was everybody a uh, creative during that time. Like like how was the temperament of just the creativity, new hip hop, fashion, and all of that other stuff? And what are we talking about like the sixth or seventh grade or something like that? Yeah, we talking about fourth, fifth fourth okay. fifth grade so we so that this is you're talking about fourth fifth sixth so you're talking about pumas pumas suede adidas days shell toes like you're talking about that that whole era so everybody everybody was doing their thing like everybody was fly and ed, ed was fly and used to do a lot of graffiti too like he used to always draw the characters in the pumas i remember that back in the days buster was doing this thing so every everybody was was cool. Like we were, and, and we all were. I won't say big troublemakers, but but mischievous. That's that's the right word. Like, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm gonna take that back because they they put um, they put a, a title on kids that when you identify where they're good at, right, where they excel at, they see they sometimes seem to be a problem or they want to title as mischievous. Y'all creative kids, like, like yeah. y'all was into something. So if if it was a time the way they gave you a puzzle or something for you to figure out to take your time, and then within twenty or thirty minutes you figure, finish that puzzle, now you off on on uh, uh, Mary's yeah, desk and y'all laughing and joking. You know, a lot of times parents and teachers, let me say teachers, don't understand kids, right? Because oh, yeah. we we come from the, that creative space. But um, I'm not going to keep going into my rant about kids, but I want you to keep going about... Um, no, I, I definitely get that. Like, they, they, do, they do a blanket, blanket teaching style mm-hmm. for, for kids. So they take one model and feel, they don't understand everybody has different personalities and different learning styles. Like, I'm, I'm an ad, advocate for, for exposing that as as well so but as far as far as us like me i was i was the class clown like I, i'd get in trouble like that was my thing like I, i'd like making people laugh and, and saying different things and and getting really getting on the teacher's nerves but not in a in a fun in more of a funny way like like entertaining entertaining the class so i, I got in trouble a lot for that <laughs> when i was young so so um Cause I'm still trying to get to that that transition the way you was like yo the music. Um, so was you DJing during that time? Was you rap rapping? No, no that time no, just just drawing four six. I would say realistically the the whole music thing would took took form closer to I want to say seventh ish seventh ish grade. Cause after 
living at uh, moved over to Flatbush, I actually went over to Ocean Avenue, which is another part of Flatbush. They call it they call it Prospect Park South now or Prospect <laughs> Garden. It was the Flatbush. Redu- the regentification yeah. of Brooklyn, yeah. right? It was Flatbush, so it sounds fancy now. But um, yeah, so I moved over there. So over there. I remember that's around, I remember the era because I remember Sleeping Bag Records and EPMD and I, I think it was Mervin or Marvin Jordan. It was a gentleman because these were the times when when you'd make demos, you'd, you'd make your you'd make your demo tape and you'd go for people that know you'd go to Funky Slice. There's a, a studio called Funky Slice downtown Brooklyn where there was a guy, Dr. Beat. So everybody was making demos and you, you'd have the... And, and everything was on a floppy disk. Like you'd actually <laughs> put everything on a floppy disk. So you'd be making demos. So I, I was on Ocean Avenue and I would see a block away, Fly Ty, his, I didn't know him, but his nephew, Tariq, lived. And that was my guy down the, down the block. So we all knew Tariq and, and Fly Tile come over. So I'll see like the limos and I'll see Big Daddy Kane, Biz Markie and the whole Juice crew pulling up. So this was around that era when they when they were super, super large with it. And then then also people don't know Master Ace, who I see to this day, that, that guy don't age. You know that he looks <laughs> look like he probably aged about 10 years since, <laughs> since back then, maybe five. But he lived not too far. He was down Caton Avenue too. So we used to go to his house and, and rap. And I used to battle my guys, Vic and Vern. So it was a lot. Like we were we were just young kids hoping to get on and trying to figure out the whole system while we're seeing everything evolve in rap. So I always had I always had an interest in music, but then with that being said, I was tied into the streets, like doing things that I shouldn't be doing to to make ends meet. So, no, so Joe, listen. listen. What I'm gonna say, um, certain things don't need to be said, right? Because right. the environment that we grew up in during right. that time, right? So, what I feel like is a championship goal is that some people have not made it through 89, didn't make it through 2000, didn't make it to 2005, um, or because uh, they did not understand the dynamics of what you was doing at the time and what you need to do to, to be, to survive. Um, and evolution is a, is a, is a, is is something that is very important. Some people do not evolve, and they still stuck in 1989 to where people evolve and they become successful real estate agents and start companies and businesses and so on and so, such. But um, speaking of that, <clears throat> being outside and your outside connections and seeing the old school rappers. See, one thing people don't know, New York is big, but technically New York is very, very small. And relationships and who you know are very, very important. Um, And within seeing that, your brothers was in music, you was rapping, you was connecting with with certain things. At what point in time did you say, you know what, I think I want to take this serious, or you was just still trying to figure out juggling? Yeah, no, nah, I was I was trying to figure it out because even though I I, I knew them, I, I didn't know the the Juice Crew, but I would see them. But it was still exciting 
to be to be in those circles if not not in those circles but be in, in the that area i get area. it yeah, yeah i get it area, see it being close proximity to it so i'm like oh wow like look look at this so but with me like i said i was so caught up in in what i was doing in the street like i was having i was having like a great time like like i was doing my thing so so i was more enjoying that that in the interim buying cars chilling out like just just really really enjoying life and and going through those motions and then i'd, I'd go off and on so that I'd, I'd be like okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna start trying to rap like i'm gonna rap again and then i stop then i go through this wave of just back back doing what i gotta do and then I'd be like, you know what, I'm gonna rap again. And then finally, at one point, this was the the early '90s, the early '90s. I said, you know what, I'm a I'm a rap I'm a, I'm a rap again. And this was a, this was around the era um, when when Nas and and Wu Tang and everybody was out doing their thing. And then 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 I'd, I'd hear Biggie. This is this was around when Biggie was just had party and bullshit so i'm hearing like this era and i'm getting excited and i'm getting a lot of money in the street so i'm just just chilling so i'm like i'm like you know what i'm gonna start back writing so i started back writing again and then i just happened to luck up and connect with big and then the rest the rest is history so let's let's back it up a little bit uh what was the first place that you recorded your first song and what was the name of it um good question i know <laughs> oh man you're talking about back in demo days i go back to what i mentioned before um funky slice studios made a lot of demos this is when you were going downtown to the record store and buying breakbeat breakbeat records and just sampling and you, you it wasn't it wasn't a producer making a beat you'd go there and buy the record people know what i'm talking about you go there buy the record and go to the studio and say i want to loop that part just play that part over and over <laughs> and then, then you just rap and then you'd have your your bring your dj and the dj just making scratches and then you just <laughs> take it take it from there and or mix it so it, you, i did a lot of those a lot of those do you remember because nobody shouts out anybody behind the scenes do you remember the engineer name dr beat i said it yeah uh, dr beat it, it was a, a little age everybody he's i hope he's still around somewhere <laughs> like 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 he's he's an icon he's a legend like dr beat was the guy in funky slice studio like as part of hip-hop um i know there's gonna be something something with him and that, that you just gave me an idea we so he has to have this has to be something lingering so about so, he, so shout like, out to Ann Lava but Ann Lava was saying that within the 50 years of hip-hop they only talked about the MCs they never talked about people in the background the marketing the the um stylists you know the, the the engineers they never talked about some of the greats that you know had the ears on the the ears on the decision to say, yo, that's a dope song and that's a dope hit that actually sustained itself for the last 15 or 20, or excuse me, the last 50 years of hip hop, you know? So, uh, they, so talk, they talk about them, but they don't talk about a lot of them. That's, mm -hmm. that's what it is. Like they don't, they don't take it to a granular level. So I think that's it, but they, they talk about them, but they don't talk about, them. they probably talk about a, a handful, but <laughs> on one hand, <laughs> So, so uh let's talk about biggie how did you end up um connecting how did that because i know first of all brooklyn is small let's, let's start right. with that so 
people who don't know, like if you're in, see, don't get me to start saying hoods and neighborhoods, right? But if you're in certain neighborhoods, people know you because your name rings or relationships oh, or yeah, certain yeah. things. So um, being outside and being a part, doing your, your own thing, how did you, how was that connection? How did that connection happen? No, that 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 connection, I tell people as crazy as it sounds, uh, actually it doesn't sound crazy. That was my real first experience with manifesting, manifesting mm. something because I, I manifested that whole, that whole, my whole trajectory with being in Junior Mafia into existence. And I didn't know that's what it was going to be, but I, I, I tell the story and I, I retell it. So how it happened, um, it was the, of course, the, the early, the mid approaching the mid nineties. So it was the Grammy night. It was the Grammy night. So I was watching the Grammys at home and I was sick, like a dog. Like I couldn't move. Like I had some sort of flu, like I, I, I and it's going to sound disgusting, but I, I blew my nose and it looked like I, I crazy blew out like a piece of my brain. Like it was like, Oh, another story. Oh, trust me, that sounded like COVID early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it was it was something like it was I was sick. So when I'm sick, I don't like to smoke. Like I had this thing in my mind. I used to smoke a lot of weed. I don't smoke now anymore, but for, for ages. But I used to smoke weed all the time. So but when I'm sick, I would be like, yo, I'm not smoking because I feel like it gets me more sick. So I'm in the house. And I'm I'm watching the Grammys and my boys, they're like, yo, it's the Grammys after party. And I never went to a, 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 a Grammys after party or anything like that. This was 1994. Yeah, 1994. So I'm in the house. I'm like, yo, nah, I'm sick. I'm chilling out. Y'all go, y'all go. So while I'm looking at the Grammys, I'm seeing all these hip hop artists and all these celebrities at the Grammys. And I'm like, yo, damn, this is crazy. So... I said, you know what? I'm going to go. So I call my boy. I said, yo, yo, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. So we all connect. So we said, okay, before we go, we're going to go to St. John's and Nostrand to buy some weed. Back in those days, I tell people it wasn't like these spending $5,000 worth of weed, five two, $250 a pop, 500 It wasn't that. You'd go buy dime bags and nickel bags <laughs> when you were smoking. So we went to St. John's and Nostrand and I, and I bought, I think I bought like one or two dime bags a week. I'm like, you know what? I'm not smoking a lot. So we went to St. John's and Nostrand. We all drove to the tunnel. I just got a new vehicle. My, my boys had, had whips and we drove out there. So when we get there, I'm like, yo, I'm smoking this, this, and I, I, this is the manifestation part. I said, look, I'm smoking this, this weed because I ain't smoking. No, I actually only bought one bag. I said, I'm, I'm, I bought this weed and I'm smoking this weed with the person that's going to put me on in the rap game. I said, I'm smoking this. So they looking at me like, dude, <laughs> like, whatever. So we go in the club and I swear to you, I'm sick like a dog. I was so sick that when I got in the club, I never been to the tunnel. It was at the tunnel nightclub, the after party. We, I walked around and I was, of course, amazed. Like, damn, look at this. And then I'm seeing all sort of different rappers. I saw, I saw like people from the Woo. I saw a brand newbie, and I saw, and I, I walked around. But I was so sick that I went and sat on the side of the bar, like because the bar is a long stretch, like a loop, almost like a track loop. 
So I went and just sat down and I'm like, damn, I want to rap to somebody. So now the night is progressing and my boys are in there. They having fun. I don't know what they're doing because I'm not moving with them because I'm not sick. So all throughout the night, they keep coming to me like, yo, yo, give me a week. Yo, we smoked. We smoked all our weed. So every time they came to me, I'm like, yo, <laughs> the person that's putting me on. So they getting pissed. They getting pissed at me like, yo, this, he's not. He not giving us his weed. <laughs> Every time we come to him, he telling us he telling us this BS that he gonna smoke it <laughs> with the person that's putting them on. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm chilling, right? So now I'm chilling so long that the lights come on and the party's over. So now the party's over. I done sat the night out, ain't rap to nobody, just sightseeing. So I start scrambling. So I'm like, yo, I tell people like, yo, I start freaking out. I'm ready to kick around to the bartender. So I'm looking around. I'm like, yo, damn, who the hell am I rapping? So I'm scrambling, trying to get around to see if anybody's is left in there because the place is starting to filter out. So I'm like, damn. So as I make a lap, not a lap, but as I go around the bar, because I was on the other side, so I had to go around to get to the exit side. As I'm going around and I look at the exit, I say, oh, shoot, there go Biggie Smalls, because that's what everybody called them that, back then. Yeah. So I, that, there go Biggie Smalls. And I remember one of my guys, June, because I hung out. Those times I used to hang out on Franklin Avenue a lot. Shout out to, to the Franklin Ave posse. So I was I was running on Franklin Avenue. Uh, that was my stomping ground. Yeah. So I remember my, my guy, June, from Franklin, he was like, yo, Biggie trying to form a group like he trying to there was like loose talk in the street that Biggie was in in the process of trying to form a group so so now I see Biggie and I walk around and I and I step to him and I said something like I said I said yo so so when I see him I said yo what up big I said yo you know my man June I said yo my name is Clep I'm the nicest nigga that ain't out straight <laughs> just like that so it was funny because I tell people this to this day, he looked at me, he looked at me like I'm 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 DK and wide out, tag Hoya watch, like I'm I'm dip, like I'm dip. <laughs> so he looked at me, he stuck his hand out, he said, Yo, I remember vividly, he stuck his hand, he like, yo, I believe you. And in my mind, I'm like, you really believe me? Like he just <laughs> he just randomly said, I believe you. So while that's happening. He was with his boys, and mind you, I ain't know none of them yet. So it was God bless the dead, my guy Cheek Del Vec, who just passed away the end of last year. He was with Cheek Del Vec, Little C's, and the writer, the, the famous writer Bones Malone. Mm -hmm. So I knew Bones by face, like we knew each other, we'd interacted with each other in the past. And Bones writes about this this actual instance, like he's written in it. Like if you go to his page, he he written it and talked about it. So. So Big's with them. So now, while I, well, after I say that to Big, he looks over to them and say, yo, we're going to go get something to eat. Yo, let's get a taxi. So I hear him say that, right? So I say, yo, oh, yo, y'all trying to go somewhere? I said, yo, I got a car. I could take y'all. So he looked, he looked at me, oh, shoot. He's like, yo, you got a car? I said, yeah, I'll take y'all. He's like, all right. So I said, boom, I know what I'm going to do now. So now, little did they know, that I literally just probably like oh, maybe less than two weeks bought a brand new Q45. I'm talking about this is when 
Wu-Tang had cash rules everything around me video and you see them driving in the white Q45 so it was like the talk of the streets like like <laughs> back then that was like a Bentley like, yeah, like right nowhere next to the price but but you just back in them days the car game was different it wasn't as, as like over over the top like now but it was still live it was a dope 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 vehicle like I said equivalent to a Bentley back then so so now I'm like, yo, I got a car, but I ain't tell them what I'm going to get. I say, yo, I'm going to go get the car. I'll meet y'all in front. So I go to the car now. So now we're in front of the tunnel. So now traffic is slow. So I get in the car. I had no tents, fishbowl. So back then, you know, it was tapes, cassette tapes. So I pop a tape in, you know, roll the window down, you know, roll the window down. <laughs> music, excuse me, music blasting. So I roll the window down and I'm driving slow, slow up the block, music blasting. My my, <laughs> my Q45 had dipped rims, like shiny dipped rims. Like it was crazy, jet black. So now I pull up slow because traffic, like I said, is slow. So I pull up. So all I know is when Biggie, Steve, and all of them saw what I was driving. Uh-huh. Their eyes just looked like, oh. <laughs> they all look like, oh, that, that's what he in. So, um, so yeah, so I pull up and Biggie gets in the front seat. Biggie gets in the front seat on this here. Like, yeah, that's always like you get in, like, get in the front seat, bones and them get in the back cheek, the back seats, they get in the back. <laughs> So he like, yo, we're going to go to Chelsea Diner. And I love Chelsea Diner because it, it was such a, a, a historical part. And I'm glad it's still open. So um, the wings and fries are good, by the way. It's late <laughs> night. But um, so Biggie gets in the front. I'm, I'm going to say Biggie Smalls for the timeline. Biggie Smalls gets in the front seat. So people are still coming out the club. So we posted up in the front, park, park, right on the, on the, on the street. And the entrance is right here, and people still coming out. So Biggie chilling out in the front. We we kicking it, and now all of a sudden, all my boys come out the club. Mm. So now they come out. So they look and see me. They look. They like, oh shoot, <laughs> this dude and <laughs> and got Biggie Smalls in his front seat. So now. <laughs> They look at and they mind, they like, damn, he pulled it off. Yo, how the hell he did that? So I told them all night, I said, yo, I'm smoking this weed with the person that's putting me on. They look at me like like I'm crazy. And I and I got I got my my now 16-year-old son. I told him, yo, anything is possible. Like, so I and that's it, it kind of led into my future of anything that I want to do. I just straight hop to it and do it like it's possible once you once you execute on it so long story short bigs in the car so no the biggie smalls is in the car so he's like yo let's go to chelsea diner so now we go to chelsea diner we eat get food for all of us we eat and and we get back in my in my vehicle and um so i remember i rolled up the weed like I said, same bag of weed, rolled it up, and I put in I put in the cassette tape. I put in um, Souls of Mischief, Never No More, I, and because I, I like that beat back then, so I put in Souls of Mischief, Mischief, Never No More, and I put in the tape, 
and I rapped every lyric that I had over another rap group song while they were rapping. <laughs> I rapped because I had no instrumentals. Like I had no instrumentals on tape. I was trying to get on. I just said, you so I, I just boom. And that's how I used to write. I used to write over other people's songs. Just I, I tune them out and just write over it. So I rapped everything I had rapping about like all of that stuff like i brought that to the table like they but when, before i stepped in with that it was all about carl canai they want to let carl canai tip so mm -hmm. i was the dude because that's what i was i was getting at in the streets like everybody knows the stories all over but um but when i wrapped all of that stuff to him after he like he like yo yo that's dope and back in back in those times everybody had to burn a flip phone so he's like yo hit me up take my number so now I just happen to luck up. That's around the time when when Puff got dropped from from Uptown and he was starting Bad Boy with with Biggie and Biggie was just now building up. So he wasn't moving around and have a vehicle. So luckily I had one of the illest vehicles in the streets. And then I was one of the oldest members of Junior Mafia. So I could move around and get in the club. So me and Big formed a relationship of just hanging out. So we would go all through the city, just terrorizing shit, bagging shorties. Like, like we was all over the place. Go pick up knives. We go pick up knives in Queensbridge. He'll jump in the whip. We go check Tupac. Like it was a like me and him. We were just moving, and I'm bringing him to Franklin Avenue. So everybody bugging out like, yo, you, yo, Clef just came up with with Biggie Smalls. Yeah, yeah, Biggie Smalls and Flatbush show this. So me and him, we was just moving around like crazy so and, and another thing about it is like i was real heavy in in the street life and it kind it kind i'm kind of i'm I, I like how everything played out but it could have played out different because when big first went on tour he wanted me to come on tour with him like he could we 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 were like we, we formed a bond so he wanted me to come on tour with him, but I couldn't come on tour because I was busy doing what I was doing and I was self-sufficient. Like I was the type of person that I, I offended for myself and took care of myself. And it was even to the point where I tell people he wanted us to, to get an apartment together back then. But back then he had just pulled me into his, his crew of people and I, I used to see it and I, and I wasn't moving the way that was moving. So I was like, yeah, I don't really want to get a house or rent a, rent an apartment with them just to have a bunch of dudes staying there like 24 seven because I'm making my own moves. So, so that's why that didn't pan out. I opted to not go that route and stick to what I was doing, but it could have been a situation. It could have been a whole different trajectory if I just dropped everything and just said, you know what, I'm just going to be up under you. But then I'm going to be real with you. I'm not the type of like, I'm not the doja type. So that wouldn't have fit my, my personality as well. So that, that was another thing. Cause like I said, I was always doing my, doing my own thing, but we did form a great relationship. And then he, he, we just started building out junior Martha. He had the, he had the idea. Like I came in like at the end, he already knew Kim. Of course he knew C's and, and cheap Nino Brown and everybody else in the group, the snakes, Anton who's lost any big city bang shout out to bang and trife trigger trife so he already knew all of them so i came in last and that was another thing back then being the person that 
wasn't part of the group. They were all looking at me like, who this outsider dude? That big just, I mean, it's it, it's funny because like I said, those are all my, telling that, they're all my brothers now. <laughs> but the reality is when you young, I mean, that's just the mentality you have. Like, like who this yo, yo? So there was that, there was that whole period of like, who this dude um, big rolling with and then, then connecting with him. And I used to be like, yo, yo, big, you only moving around with Clef because he knew I was moving different. Like I was moving different. He saw how I was, like, I, I still move different to this day. <laughs> so, so, and he liked that. So that, that was, that's where we, we kind of, I tell people we were mutual mentors to each other. Like I was showing him lifestyle and, and fashion and things like that. And he was making me fine tune my rap skills and getting hype and, and, and just so, and that's what we did. And we, we had a lot of similarities to each other. So, so that there was always that, but then, like I said, me, I just was, I was stuck in, in getting money and, and having fun and doing whatever I felt I had to do at the time. So <clears throat> what was the, what was the click? Because um, even though he was forming the business um, in the group, but what was the business part of it? Because, you know, we always talk about the highlights, meeting people, going, but what, what was, like, how was, how was the business set up? Like, how was yeah, y'all being paid, like, the first show? Like, how? No, it was, it was crazy because it was different. Back then, I tell people, back then, everybody was getting shafted by different labels. But we ain't seen no major major bread like it wasn't as structured as as back then but the way that the group was originally supposed to be structured it was it was me as a solo artist kim as a solo artist c's was part of the sixes you had you had um the snakes which was big city bang and tripe and then you had the sixes which was nino brown red um who, who's capone bugsy and yeah, so that that they were they were no actually they were the sixes with C's, but what happened with me? And I'm glad you brought that up. With me is, I didn't want to sign the contract. Mm. Like I wasn't no fool. Like when I saw the contract that was presented to me, I was like, yo, I'm not signing this contract. Like like the rest of the mafia, they talk about it, they laugh about it now, because I was the one that ain't want to sign the contract. They gave me the contract. I'm like, yo, no, nah, I ain't signing this. So now under them who was Big's partner, he was he was getting mad because I was holding up the whole deal. Because I'm on the demos, I was killing the demos. Like I was, I was like spazzing. So they were like, yo, Clef ain't signing. Clef ain't signing. I'm like, yo, nah, I ain't signing this. So now I never forget it, it, Nino, we laugh about it, but Nino bragging, yo, Clef, yo, you holding us up, you stopping us from getting money, yo. Blah. So everybody mad at me, and bad enough, I'm the outsider already. But I'm the, but I'm just and I'm nice. So I'm slowing up the whole deal. So now they get mad, like yo, clap, yo, come on. So I said, you know what? And with my my, what's the word I'm looking for? My lack of knowledge of the industry mm-hmm. made me think, like, okay, you know what? I know what I'm gonna do. Since they want to do it, I'm going to just get on and I'm going to wrap my ass off and then I'm out. Since they want to give us a message, I'm going to just wrap my ass off. So now, that's what I did. That's why I still get a lot of credibility from that album. I got on the album, wrapped my ass off, but then got shafted because then under them was like, oh yeah, this is the motherfucker that he wasn't trying to 
he wasn't trying to sign, we ain't gonna push him. Mm. So, so it came back to bite me. Mm. So, yeah, and and I didn't have full understanding of the business back then because we were all young. So, but then it, it came back to it came back to bite me. So, yeah, quick, so, so quick question: all the publishing and all of that for the record. Yeah, it was all we like I said, everybody had screwed up contracts back mm. then. Nobody wasn't nobody wasn't really really um on point with that. You look look at look at Snoop. Snoop's talking about he wrote a lot of the chronic, wrote this, wrote that, and he didn't get paid. And that stuff he's talking about in the past twelve months. He mm. bringing all of that stuff up. So everybody and I can't and I can't really say everybody, but a lot of artists, they were getting shafted. And, and they talk, people still getting shafted with streaming. Mm -hmm. So, to, and, and that was the thing with me, one of the reasons why I drifted away from music, cause I'm like, yo, I could get, I like money. Like I like, I love music. Don't get it twisted. I love music, but guess what? Show me the money. Where the money at? Like, like, like I got in this, uh, of course I love it, but I want, but then it's crazy because a lot of people were, I was so used to getting money and, and chilling that I believed a lot that I saw on on in different videos, but you didn't know that this was stuff that the label did to present to present to people and and um make it look that way. So what I want to bring up, I want to I want to catch us up to the future um, of right, right. where music is at, where the business is at. And you being from the old school till now, what kind of advice do you have for new artists or independent artists coming in this space that wants to uh, uh, set a mark? I, I would say embrace, embrace the trajectory. Like that's something that a lot of people don't do. Like they, 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 don't want to front load the learning aspect of what's happening. You have to know, like like me, even being in real estate, you got to know the direction the business is going. Mm -hmm. Like you don't want to just get stuck and get comfortable in one set trend. You want to you want to try to forecast forecast while you still want to make adjustments when necessary. But you have to be in it to understand what's happening in real time. Have a real time approach. To the music business like look at stuff like like even with with web 3 and music like a lot of people were trying to get into it and of course you know it's gonna we we both know it's gonna go into astronomical directions but a lot of people don't want to front load the learning aspect and taking the time to understand it like i tell people you can't judge something without fully understanding it because then what are you judging like, what are you, how are you going to judge something and you don't even understand what you're judging, but you're just like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not missing that because, yeah, but you don't understand what you're judging. So, but it's unfortunate, a lot of artists, and it just, it just goes back to the same way. And, and I'm guilty of it now that you're making me really, really recollect, I'm guilty of it because I didn't take the time to understand the music business back then. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing happening in the modern day with artists, they're not taking the time. So if I knew what I knew now, like everybody says, I would have took the time to understand it. But that's what people need to do with the current current time. So at least you can have different uh, a pizza pie 
of your business and how you're structuring your music business. You might have a portion of it. You 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 got you've gained knowledge of Web three, then you you gain knowledge of the streaming route, so that you know which works, and then maybe you can do you can do different variations of it. But definitely front load front load the learning and understand what's happening before you shut you shut things down. So so quick question. If yeah. you was to do it again and they gave you those those contracts, how would you have finessed it this time and you know what you know? Right now, damn, if I knew what I knew now. But see, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Like so back backtrack. So you're asking if they gave that to me now or back then and I knew what I knew now. Back then and you knew what you knew now. Oh, I wouldn't have signed it. Oh, no. You still would have been... I went straight independent. I would have went straight independent. I would have studied and learned how everything works. I would have did something along the lines of Master P because there's a video that's floating around about with Master P and when he spoke and learned about the type of deal that he had to get out. I would have definitely learned. But then it's tricky because back then... I, I, it would have cost, but back then information is not as accessible as it is now. Like right mm-hmm. now, information is more accessible for people. So, so that's another advantage that people have. Like, like somebody can go on on chat, and somebody may end up doing this. Somebody can go on chat GPT and wrote, and, and ask, "What are all the in-depth steps that I need to take to create a successful record label, which I may just do for the fun of it. Not that I want to do that right now, but you, you go in there and do that and just keep asking, no, I need more info. Uh, can you get more, more detailed? Like, like, and then you'll get, you'll get everything. Like it's all out there. Like we didn't have that back then. Yeah. So, so cause we've been going a little while and you are very, very interesting. Um, but I want to speed this up. So, um, you left, you got the contract, the album came out, they decided not to push you because you didn't sign. I um, fell back, I fell back, I fell back. I stayed in the streets with Eaton, Eaton, uh, Dan, Dan, oh, that's a great question too. I was eating, some people know in Europe. So I started, uh, cause, cause I started a, um, independent record label called Mac Ass Entertainment. So I had artists, I did a lot of stuff with China White, who was on B.I.B.I. She was originally supposed to sign with me, but then ended up going with Little John and the East Side Boys. And shout out to Little John. But um, she was more of, she was a real rugged New Orleans. And this was around the time when New Orleans was popping, when when um, Cash Money was out. And she was a beast on the mic. But then she ended up going with um, Little John and they, they kind of made her more like, their style of music and the B.I.B. was a hit, but I felt like she was like so lyrically, lyrically talented. Like she could have been one of the dopest ever hip hop females. Like she was just so ill because she was like, imagine she she would have been like the, the Nicki Minaj. Like if she was on Cash Money, she would have, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, Cash Money. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nicki Minaj was with Cash Money, but the original Cash Money click back then, like I'm talking about Lil Wayne, um, BG, um, Turk and all of them. Like if she was with them, she would have been like Nicki Minaj, but she was ill straight from New Orleans. Mm. So I did a lot of songs with her and then I traveled to Europe. Like I was in Sweden a lot. I was in Sweden a lot. And I worked with a lot of the Swedish producers because a lot of people back then, 
people weren't really traveling to Europe like mm -hmm. that. So they didn't know the reach of hip hop. So I was blown away when I went to Europe and, and I, I was <laughs> younger than and I went to Europe and I'm like, yo, they out here rocking the hip hop like they in Brooklyn and, and, <laughs> and, and you're seeing people of different nationalities and they acting like they in, I felt, I was like, yo, that's how far we reached. So it was dope. And then I, I was working with a lot of the, the top, top, top Swedish producers out there. And then they also had, which I didn't know, they had Euro, a European version of MTV. It was really MTV, Euro MTV. Like everything that we had out here, they had out there. So it was like bizarro. It was like that Superman alternate universe type of thing. <laughs> I was out there like, oh, shoot, this is what's happening. So, so, but I was out there having a ball. Yeah, having beautiful women. I'm like, oh man, I was, I almost moved out there. So, <laughs> so I was out there doing my thing. So I did that. So people don't know I had that, that whole, that whole European connection with the music business. So I did that for a while and then, then came back. And then I, I bought a studio. I had my own studio. I lived in Canarsie. So I had a full on studio. So mind you, this time, this time I wasn't really messing with Junior Mafia. Mm -hmm. So this is when, this is after Biggie passed, passed away a long time ago. And then this is, was around the time when when Kim was, had seasoned and they were all living at her house. And um, then they had the falling out for the Hot 97 thing. So after that, I reconnected with, it was C's and Banger. Mm -hmm. So this is, I saw uh, Larceny. So I reconnected with them and they loved the fact that I had a full-on studio in my house. Mm. So they said, you know what, let's end up doing, a, let's try to do another album. So um, that's when we did the Riot Music album. So that was around 05-ish, 05. So we did a majority of that album. We, we did the demos of that in my house. Yeah, because I had a three-bedroom apartment where one, uh, one room I just, and I lived by myself. Uh, I turned one room into a studio. So we did, we did that album. We demoed it out, and then we connected with some Russian, some. Uh, uh, I'm just gonna say some Russian guys with a lot of money, and they they had Mega Media Music, and they gave us some upfront money to put it out independently. And then I structured, helped structure the contract where because I. I I was the one that was in there like beefing with them and making sure the contract is structured correctly and and doing things. Go through that shit again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did all of this to structure it. And then what happened was they 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 and he says no, but they said back then that long story short, they were supposed to put the album out by a certain time. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I had it structured in the contract where if y'all don't do what y'all say, we walk with everything. Mm. So and he's saying no, but I'd say yes from back then. But do I 100% know now? Now I'm like, okay, was it really that? But I think it was, but it still led me to this. But back then they said that they promised C something like, yo, we'll give you this and just say it was your fault that, that the album was late and then C's agreed to it. So from that, I stopped messing with them. Okay. I said, and that was, that was that 05, 06. So from that, I said, you know what? These dudes, I can't mess with these dudes. They ain't trying to get no money. And I left. So that's when I said, you know what? I'm not dealing with the music business. And um, 
And I, I could have been, I tell people, I could have been a sanitation worker, postal, I could have been anything. I didn't know what I was going to be, but I just happened to be walking and I joke and they say, how you got into real estate? I said, well, well, I, I, I saw a sign. And, and they're like, what kind of sign did you see? Like, was it, was, was it a pippling? Like, I was like, no, I really saw a sign. Like, I looked up on the, on the building and it was a big sign <laughs> that said, get your real estate license in one week for $200. So I said, damn, I should try to get into real estate. So I ended up taking the real estate class because that's where the sign was. It was Express Real Estate School where you get, get your license. So I ended up taking that. And then I hold got on, in. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How many times you took the test? Oh man, we ain't gonna get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, the only reason why I say that is because I took it three times and passed it on the fourth. (laughs) Yeah, nah, nah, okay. Full full disclosure, I I failed it twice before I passed it, but I got a good excuse. This is what I did. So I took the I took the class, but mind you, I was still in the streets. I was still all those times I was still doing whatever I had to do. Like I didn't have a nine to five. Like real estate is my first, first ever real, real, real long term job. <laughs> and I work for myself doing it now all the time. Because you're, you're an independent contractor. But so I took the class and then I was still in the streets and I thought that, oh, I'll take the test next month. <laughs> or like sweet yo by the time the test came around i done forgot everything it looked like chinese arithmetic i'm looking at stuff like i, I studied this like yo like so i then i did the same thing again and i'm like yo damn like and then I, full disclosure the streets started getting hot <laughs> it was like yo i gotta i gotta pass this bag on test so then I ended up getting like there was some website where they do license exam. It was license exam tutor. Shout out to them. I don't know if they're still around, but um, I took uh, I signed up for that and then breathe. Then I, I set it up right. I said, you know what? As soon as I'm finished this, I'm setting it up. So I take the test fresh off of the class, the, the the tutoring. So I did that and then I actually I actually went all the way back then. It was all the way. I went all the way to flushing. Flushing Queens, and that was from Canarsie. So I went all the way to Flushing Queens to try to get the test because they 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 had the earliest test date, and then I passed. And then the the rest the rest was history. Yeah. So that's so okay. So the hard cost team. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Well, a hard cost team, like right now, like I've trained a lot of agents. I've had agents under me, but right now how I have it structured is me and, and assistants. So so my assistants, I, I've learned the art of delegating now. So oh, wait, all stop, my- stop, stop. That is an important topic when it comes to business. Right. Let's just talk about just that in general, because um, you're moving from a music business to where you are the one that's in charge of shows and getting to the studio producers and all that and now you're in a place to where you're kind of playing um you're playing monopoly (laughs) and you're moving people um and the most successful people that i've ever seen was the people who was able to understand delegating and to be able to relinquish it to somebody who can actually complete the task 
Uh, right. So delegating to people and making sure you vet the right people. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah. Well, that, well, to to be straightforward, I want to say my delegation skills became somewhat impeccable, probably four four or so uh, within four years ago. Like, and I, and I've been in the business in real estate eighteen years now, going on eighteen since two thousand two thousand six. So um, it wasn't like that before. So everything that you said, I had to go through the pitfalls and the learning curves and dealing with, with people that, because I'm a go-getter. Like I'm a, and, and the same thing with real estate, I wanted to be in the top firms and, and, and I wanted to break into the luxury sectors of Manhattan where they didn't have African-American agents. Like when I first started, they were trying to pigeonhole and, and push a lot of the black agents. And this is when Harlem wasn't as desirable to, to Harlem and, and East New York and all of the real, real African-American neighborhoods. And I'm like, nah, I want to be where the money at. I want to be in Soho. I want to be in Tribeca. And that's why I started my career. And I've always been in Manhattan. I started my career in Soho and, and made Soho my stomping grounds while I still sell properties in in, in Central Park West, Tribeca, um, all over the place, Upper West Side, which is Central Park West, but still Upper West Side, Brooklyn and, and, and Park Slope, Brooklyn Heights, Cobble Hill, so I, I've always wanted to be where the where I felt like the money was at and where they originally didn't want African Americans or or there weren't a lot. I would say didn't want, but there weren't a lot of African American agents where to this day there's not at least and like I said, I've been in the business eighteen years, there's not at least somewhere within twelve to eighteen months that I don't get an agent that's African-American reach out to me, asking me, how did I break into that sector? Yeah, like, because that's that's how it's a small group. Like, like it's, 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 it's predominantly Caucasian, Caucasian agents and people outside of African-Americans that are in the, the top luxury luxury sector. So I, I, always, I always wanted to, and it goes back to, meeting big and feeling like you know, anything that I want to do, I can do it. Even if, and, and I'm willing to put in the work and take the time and go for it. So the discipline of being outside, the discipline of your parents instilling, um, brought you to this point right here in life. Um, as far as establishing your daily life and your lifestyle because coming from a rapper lifestyle right um and sometimes it's glorious because it shows all the the stuff in the videos and right. then it gives you a misconception to when when the videos and stuff end and you go home <laughs> you kind of like in the room yeah but yeah a lot of a lot of people like i said they got they got shafted because they don't talk about the the actual the actual dynamics of the business side it's all just about the show side like it, it happens with everybody like they, you you look at even even athletes like like all over like it's just the way certain things are structured you don't really see you get like the small piece of it but the other other people get the next higher level and hold yeah, up, so that hold on because I, I wanted to get to my point i'm sorry to interrupt you no, no, um, no. 
some people don't land softly, you know? Right. Looking at the 50 years of hip hop and looking at some of the artists that was given the opportunity, that took the opportunity to get up on some of these stages and how they looked like they just let it all take them. Like it looked like it let life take them, right? right. Um, you had a soft landing because now you put yourself in a different industry that you can propel because you can propel and exceed far beyond anybody can possibly think within the rap or the music business. Um, That's a blessing. Like it's a blessing and sorry to jump in, but it's a blessing because I look at that because the thing with the rap world, music industry, rap world is a lot of artists they feel that they're shackled to it. They're shackled to it because because there's an ego thing where they feel like, oh, I, I was this rapper, and if somebody sees me doing something else, I'm going to be frowned upon. I signed a horrible contract. I didn't make any money. I've made millions of dollars, like live on my son's life, my son's head. I've made millions of dollars in real estate because I wanted to delve in and I decided to take a risk and go in another direction. But you have these people, they, they worried about, and this is, I'll bring up another thing that, that I've, I've been seeing more, more recently, but they worried about how other people look at them and because they had this stature and, and, and I don't want to, I, I got to stay fixed to the block because that's how it's going to be. But at the end of the day, you're not living your life. Like you really want more. You're living the other person's life, meaning you're living a life that you, you're living your life to make them happy people that probably don't don't really shouldn't have that much of an impact you have to live your life on your terms mm -hmm. like if you know and, and i've learned that recently like you you have to live so right now i live my life on my terms i don't really care like what like what somebody feels or somebody feels because guess what i'm not living your life like so it, uh, unless you what you saying kind of plays into my trajectory it don't matter to me. Like, I don't care. Like I'm not, and I learned that late. That's something that a lot of people need to pick up on. Stop living other people's lives. Stop worrying about doing things because of how, how this, how it's going to look to this person. Who cares how it's going to look? Worry about what, if it's going to, within reason and within the realms of not being a, a idiot, as long as it's something productive, worry about what you're doing for yourself. So within that, um, my partner Yuri always says he has a question that I always use. A book that has changed your life and a book that uh, you're currently reading right now. Mm, a book, I do and, and I'm, I'm a little behind like the last year, but I usually do like around 45 books on Audible. I, I ain't doing I ain't doing three thousand. You're, like doing, you're doing a three thousand Cat Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't doing a Cat Williams three thousand, but but I know. Nah, but seriously, not like no real real talk. Like I do audible books. Like even when I'm moving around, because I'm driving, I'm driving a lot. I'm driving. I'm when I'm doing stuff in the house or organizing stuff. Like I do audible. I love audible. Like audible, I, I always get credit. So I go through one book that impacted me and I actually met him and we became really cool was The Success Principles by Jack Canefield. Jack Canefield did Chicken Soup for the Soul and shout out to Romeo Marquez. Romeo Marquez, that's my guy because 
when I read the success principles, and this was way back when I started yeah, in my early days of real estate, I ended up going to a Jack Canefield three-day retreat in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. So, um, and that's something I suggest to people too. I want to do another retreat, like this self-development retreats. Like you need that. Like you have a lot of these high-level CEOs, they go to these different retreats to hunker down and, and fine-tune what they got to do. So I went to the Jack Canefield retreat and met him. Like I think I mentioned already, he did the chicken soup for the soul. And then I met my guy, um, Romeo Marquez, who's a, a motivational speaker. And you meet, you meet like great like-minded people who want to, who want to achieve a lot in life. So from that book, Success Principles, it opened a lot up. And then I originally delved into the world of self-development and learning that I could be better and studying how the brain works um, from doing the Tony Robbins program. And that was in 2000, early, early 2000. So I did that, that opened my eyes and how it really, what it really opened my eyes to is, is neurology because I tell people this, I said, look, neurology is, is really the study of the brain. Like people know. So neurology is the study of the brain, but so many people, they don't want to study how the brain works but the brain is the thing that controls everything that you do. Me moving my hand, my brain is sending the signal to make my hand move, to, to formulate the words and the sentences. The brain is controlling that. So why not study how the brain works so you know what to do so it doesn't it doesn't take you under? So um that's something that really fascinated fascinated me, like like studying studying the brain. And that's something that I suggest suggest too. One thing that you said that um, we 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 didn't really identify was uh, self development. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I could go on and on. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. Don't... See, we don't we we really don't talk about it. We don't talk about updating. We don't talk about. And I always say this all the time. We update our phones every year, right? There's always a new update to phone the computer. Why are you not updating yourself? You update yourself by self-development. Do you meditate? Yeah, I meditated before this. <laughs> so what brought meditation into your world? What'd you say? What brought meditation into your world? Because coming from where we come from, like we said, we come from the rap world and all of this stuff, all of this. You are now displaying a totally different individual. You're talking about self-help. You right? I'm, it's so crazy, and and I go back to see he used to laugh because I I got I stumbled into that world like I said early two thousand. So all of this, all of the stuff and positive and motivational stuff that people are putting out there, like I've been on it, and I'm glad that a lot of people embrace it. But they used to laugh at me, like I used to be telling them about certain foods to eat. I'm mean, Steve, he'll laugh, and, and he went through his whole health thing too, which was dope. But he would be like, "Yo, crap, talking about brain food." I used to be like, "Nah, you gotta eat almonds. You gotta eat salmon. Salmon for the omega threes. You gotta do this. You gotta eat a lot of greens. You can alkalize your." And I'm talking about this in the two thousand, early two thousands, and they like, "Man, shut up, man. You talking about brain food and and this and that." So I, back then, I got into meditation. Like I meditated to the point where I've seen like like astronomical things happen like to the point where I, I've gotten to the point which I want to get back to where I sat down and meditated and closed my eyes and it felt like my eyes were closed for about four minutes but then an hour passed 
Like you get that much, that deep into a trance from meditation. So, so I, I've, I've always been an advocate of it and I'm, I'm doing it more and I go through it. And that's another thing with, with stuff like that. You, some people can go all the way through. Sometimes I, I, I backpedal, but then I, I, I pedal forward fast. I catch myself. So, so now I'm in my meditation zone back towards the end of the year, but I usually go for nice long stretches of meditating every day. And then, then journaling, journaling, I got enlightened to, I've been journaling for, for well, well over my son is 16 before my son is born. So well over 15 plus years, like I've been heavily into the whole world of, of self-development because I've seen advantages. And then another thing I learned with self-development, it's exactly what it's called. It's called self-development. It's not for everybody. The person themselves has to want to develop. So, so I don't try to push thing. I don't try to force things on people. I toss it out there. I mean, when I first started, I'd be like, cause I was so excited by it. Like when I did Tony, I was like, yo, yo, you got to do this. Yo, yeah. And then people looking at me like, damn, this dude crazy. Like what the hell are you talking about? Like he crazy. So, so now I realize, like I said, self-development is exactly what it's called. Self-development. The person himself has to want to develop. So, and then let it's the natural, the natural ebb and flow of it. And then, I, you know, I, I have I have hardened enterprises. So I have a couple of things under my belt. I have hardened enterprises, which people can look up. It's on, on YouTube. You see some of my motivational videos, which I started doing in the pandemic. Like the pandemic, I was bored in the house. And I said, you know what? I want to start doing motivational videos. So I, I, I hired a, a group of, of editors and they, they start, I started sending them my vocals and they started building sick visuals around my vocals because I talk. Like, and people are like, oh, how long it takes you to write it? Nah, I don't write it. I just talk and, and think of a topic and I talk about it. And I keep it short, like three minutes. Some of them rarely go to four minutes, but I'm like, yo, nobody want to sit there and listen. <laughs> I get it. Like, the one oh. the one you did for the new year, uh, top of the year, that was definitely motivational. Yeah, um, but yeah. we are, we, we, we killing time right now uh, because yeah. we already an hour in. But I just want you to talk about winning hands and then we, we oh, yeah, wrap yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, win it, win it, man, man. That, that's going to take a whole nother hour. But, but I'll <laughs> no, but we got a second part yeah, to that. To, we... No, no, I try to speed talk through it like a disclaimer on a on a on a medicine a, a medicine commercial on 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 TV, like the disclaimer and end. No, the cause side effects. Blah, 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 blah. So yeah. I, I'll speed through it like that. Nah, but in all seriousness, <laughs> no, winning hands, winning hands NFT is a project that came about through my son when he was then fourteen. My son, he's an avid basketball player. He's been in the basketball since he was six. No, really, like, honestly, like, I posted something really like three, four. So I was never a sports guy. So I've just been, been pretty much supporting his trajectory in sports. So long story short, he's met almost every icon in, in the NBA. He's played, he, he's like one of the top ranked kids in, in the city. One of them, there's a lot, so, but he's, he's definitely talked about a lot. So he plays NBA 2K. So being that, that I was in the web three space and I, I love, I feel like kids are not being educated on the direction the world is going. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like what we talked about with edu the educational system. So my son plays NBA 2K for like five hours at a time sometimes sometimes more and i'm just like damn this dude is just sitting here playing video games 
he could just stay on the video game. So I, I, I plugged out his Xbox. I said, look, you could go on NBA 2K and, and create glitches. One time he did ban his account, like, cause he did like creating glitches for players, like doing, looking up on YouTube and figuring out how to do glitches. They got something you do with the controller and you can do stuff. And your, your player got ultimate stupid skills. Like, like you played. So now I unplugged it. I said, look, if you can do that, I need you to go in your room and look on YouTube and show me how to create an NFT and how to, how to really create one. And then I'll plug in your Xbox. So now, plugged out, plugged out his Xbox. I said, you know what? I'm gonna take a nap for 45 minutes. When I come out, show me what you're doing, what you did. So I went in my room, fell asleep. My alarm didn't go off for some reason. I don't know if I put it to AM by accident. I fell asleep for 90 minutes. So I got up, I'm like, yo, I know this dude. He in his room on his computer playing video game. Cause he does that. He, he the Xbox in on, he go to the computer and find like some shooting game on, on the computer. <laughs> Oh, I snuck to his room. I snuck to his room and I'm like, so I jumped in this door. I'm like, yo, what you doing? He jumped me like, no, no, look, look, no, I created my MetaMask wallet. He showed me his computer. Yeah, I created my MetaMask wallet. This is my seed phrase and this is that and all that. And like, I swear to God, like he, he broke it all down. I'm like, oh, shoot, no, he really did it. So I was impressed. So I was proud, proud dad moment. So I'm like, okay, so he's 14. So I'm like, all right. So I left him alone. For um about a month or so, then I don't know what happened. So I got back in my zone, like, okay, you got to figure out some stuff. So I said, yo, you used to draw. Why don't you go draw something that you feel we can turn into an NFT? Just draw something you used to draw. So he went in his room. I actually bought him a sketch pad and uh, Apple sketch pad. So he drew like just a random sketch, which we have and we're using as part of the project too. He drew like a random picture of two hands holding a basketball and then one hand was just holding a real floppy sketch on because uh, he didn't know how to use the pad that good yet so he but then he the finger was on the back with pointing on the basketball so um he drew that and i was like okay damn what could we do let's think about what we can do to turn this into an nft so after a while probably probably five ten minutes or so i said you know what Let's create a project called Winning Hands NFT and take, I said, you love basketball. And I said, let's take the hands and let's recreate all of the history of the NBA finals and create the rings and go through various players. So each player that we showcase and tell a story about, we have their hands mm. on, the, on the NFT. So with that being said, we had to research for probably about eight, 12 months of research of the full on history. And he did this, he, he got all the rings and he was learning. So I was teaching him how to build a business, like how to, how to incorporate, how to mm -hmm. trademark. So he started getting on calls with the IP attorneys and learning the aspects that as a 14 year old, I didn't know how to build that business up and what it took and how, how to, how to, to file, how to file for your, your corporation. Like, so he, he actually learned and understand that opening an account, seeing what the corporate kid is. And so he did all of that and then we did it together, but he learned and did his part. And he, he pretty much, he's the one responsible for researching all of the history. 
So mm-hmm. he has his own back office in, in Google. So he has a Google back office with thousands of items and information that he put together and compartmentalized. And it's all neatly organized where he can go through and just click and know, knowing how to structure all of that, which was dope. So we ended up doing that and creating the rings. And then he saw the process of hiring an, an in-house animator to create whatever ideas. And then we also tell the history. So you'll see history's tiles mm-hmm. on winning hand NFT about, about the different things that happen. Like some people, they don't know that the, the, the many the people know the Minneapolis Lakers and, and, and the Warriors. So they don't, they don't know that the Warriors was originally Philadelphia. So people don't know that. Like some people, are, there's so much history. For, so we did the history of the NBA Finals from the 1940s all the way to now with stories about it and different aspects. And as we started building out the company, we started seeing things evolve and, and different things. We, we tied in with Galaxis. Galaxis, they were behind Steve Aoki's project and Mike Tyson's project. So they, they're one of the technology providers that, that we, we're most likely gonna lock in with them, but we have we have a great relationship with them. And we just started embracing the space and learning, learning more about the space. And we feel like it's great and we love it. Like it's, it's just for the history, the history to relive that history and things that people forgot about with the NBA. And then his love for basketball, it's just always been there, so. So on that note, Thanks, but we're gonna get your son on and let him yeah, yeah. talk about his whole project. What he thinks about it. So, uh, on our way out, how could they buy or rent an apartment from you? How could they get with your group? How could any um, inspirational people that want to join the real estate situation that you got going over there with a uh, hard course? How could they follow you, find you, or get some of your information shared with the people yeah yeah real estate wise i'm with compass compass in union square so you can look up my look up my name like everything comes up ironically terrence harden and you'll look up the hard cost team with compass but winning hands nft something that we did if you go to winninghandsnft.com we've been giving away our free mvp insider token so we decided to give away that insider token free kind of as the set off for people and then anybody who anybody who owns that one that you can mint for free we've been giving away prizes we've been giving away nike gift certificates tickets to games because there's a lot of different perks that comes with ownership of that mvp insiders and then the other the other collections because we're going to have multiple collections there's going to be the sharpshooter collection the international players collection the legacy collection which is all diamond like you'll see if you go to, you can go on Twitter. We're on Twitter, Winning Hands NFT. We're, we have the website, winninghandsnft.com. We're on, we're on Instagram. We're on Threads. So you'll, you'll be able to find us. On that note, thank you, Terrence. I really appreciate that's it, man. That was a fast. That was a fast. Seventy minutes felt like about thirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always fun when you having fun, man. Yeah, definitely. This is beyond the blockchain. Everything you're doing. Yeah, peace. Thanks, y'all. All right. Take it easy, everybody.